0: Good morning, Westside. My name is Tim. I'm one of the prayer partners here, and Joe asked me to share this morning's scripture with you. So we'll be in the second book of the New Testament, uh, Mark, the 13th chapter, beginning with the 32nd verse. While you take the moment and find that, I just wanted to let you know, as one of the prayer partners, that any one of us would be more than happy to share with you, pray with you. If you have a need or desire, you can find one of us at the uh, tables up front on either side. Verse 32, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task. And tell the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch.
1: Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Like Caleb said, my name is Joe. I am one of the guys who gets to get up here and has the absolute privilege of sharing with you all about the Jesus that I love. And um, I want to take a moment and welcome our our friends and family who are joining us online and and those who are joining us in Potter, Kansas. We have this incredible extended network of family and friends that just blows my mind. People in our community and people in surrounding communities who join us each and every week and across the, and in multiple states and honestly across the globe. It is so amazing what God has brought together in this, see, in this last season of pandemic that where we've been able to reach out and have that extended family and just celebrate with them what God is doing in their lives as well. And so I want to take a moment before we get started today and I want to pray for us. And then we're going to hop into into week seven of one. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the privilege that it is for us to be able to gather together as a a body of believers and and celebrate our love relationship with you. And I pray this morning, Lord, that as we dive deeper into, into what it means to really be daringly devoted to you, that we can all look in our lives and 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 make it make a choice to, to commit to commit to you and to you alone. So Jesus, I say, I love you. And I give you the rest of this morning, and I pray that it's honoring to you. Amen. You know, um, this is week seven of one, and it's been it's been an incredible journey up to this point in time. I've been so I have I've sat here and I've got to listen to listen to Caleb and, and Casey. You just unpack some incredible truths. And they've been unpacking this series big idea that said, believing that Jesus, the Messiah, is the Son of God and King of all, is the beginning of new life in Him. You see, believing that Jesus is the Messiah and is the Son of God and is the King of all is the beginning of a new life in Him that we can find nowhere else. And, and Casey did an amazing job at the beginning in the first five weeks of this series, wrestling through and unpacking some of the characteristics of Jesus that should draw us close to who he is. And Caleb challenged us all last week and honestly challenged me personally to look at how do I keep score in my life and is, does my scorecard line up with the scorecard that Jesus lays out for us? And if you have missed any of those any of those weeks i want to encourage you to go back watch them engage with them learn what jesus has for you through his life and and as we journey through his His season of mission on this when he was alive in this planet and and also today as we start to look at holy week and what that means and and so so friends listen this is this is an incredible series that's 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 coming to a conclusion but coming to a conclusion in the most hopeful of ways you know guys i love a good dare i don't know about the rest of y'all but i love a good dare uh, dares have got me in some of the most sticky situations that i have ever been in like jumping off of a bridge into a river with water that was moving just a little too quickly and i found my way to the bank but it wasn't for about a mile down river. Or the time that I, that I was dared to go across some ice and I tested the ice on top of a septic pond and, well, that didn't work out so well. Yeah, I was a lot younger at that point in time. Um, but dares have also taken me on the greatest adventure that I could ever imagine. When Belinda and I were, were just getting to know each other, I was dragging my feet a little bit. And she wouldn't call this a dare, but that's what it was. She came up to me and she goes, hey, are you going to ask me out or what? (laughs) That worked out really well. You see, dares can either get us into a difficult situation, they can get us into an exciting situation, or they can send us off, they can send us off on a daring adventure. My great aunt Elda was a hero of mine. Elda passed away in 2019 after living one of the most quiet, daring lives you could ever imagine. When Elda was a teenager, she was born in 1931, and when she was a teenager, she was in her little church in Gossel, Kansas, and a a missionary came and got in front of the church and said, said, uh, told about being a missionary and ended by telling them, you could do this as well elda went home that evening and through her prayer and her bible study decided this is the life that jesus wants me to live now this is a big deal because this is the mid-40s single women were not missionaries if a woman wanted to be a missionary at that point in time what they had to do was marry somebody who was a missionary or who had the same call in their life well elda had plenty of suitors but none of them had their life lined up the way that she knew God was leading her. So she never accepted a suitor. She, she lived a life herself, but she began to make decisions that would point her toward being able to be the missionary that God called her to be. Elda learned seven languages. She became the very first woman to graduate from Grace Bible College with a degree in biblical studies. She became a midwife and a nurse. And then she went in front of the mission board that would be sending her as a single woman, as something that had never been done before, and pled her case and said, This is what Jesus has for me to do. Will you support me? By the way, I'm going to do it anyway. And they supported her, and she became the very first single female missionary that was sent from the mission board that sent her. So off she went to Africa, and she was in Zaire. And Zaire at that time was a rough place. There were wars going on, rebels rebels were rising up and taking things over. And during her first time there, she contracted malaria. She was bitten by an asp. She helped birth hundreds of children But she was also arrested on four separate occasions for smuggling women and children to safety behind the rebel soldiers. She was there for a pretty substantial period of time because God put her there. She came back and she was home for two years and she went on her second missionary trip with the idea, with the plan, with the job of raising money for some kind of a school. Well, Elda went to the only place she knew there was money, and that was with the diamond dealers. These were not good people. These were not safe people. She was assaulted and left for dead on her way to visit them. And she got up and kept going. And she convinced the people who were the diamond dealers to give 10 million Zaire's for what would become the very first women's nursing college and Bible college in the whole country. My Aunt Elda, my great Aunt Elda was a bad woman. Not bad like she did bad things like Xena Warrior Prince is bad. Okay? My great Aunt Elda was a hero of mine. And she left a daring, she left a she left a legacy of daring devotion to Jesus and to his call. And we are all dared to do the same. You see, the teaching big idea for today is the dare that Elder responded to and the dare that we see in Mark. See, Jesus dares me to be devoted to Him and to watch expectantly for His return. Jesus dares us, dares you and I to choose or to be devoted to Him and Him alone and to watch expectantly for His return. In the past weeks, we have got to see how Jesus dared different people to be devoted to him. He met Levi at a tax collector's booth and dared him, challenged him to leave that behind and come and follow him. And when Levi did, things changed. Last week, Caleb shared the story about the rich young ruler that Jesus met on the road and he challenged him to leave that life behind, to to give away everything that he had and follow Jesus. And his wealth, though, was more important to him than the potential for life in Jesus and he chose not to. You see, Jesus dared many people to choose between devotion to him or devotion to themselves and we are dared to do the same. See, in Jesus' times, those dares caused people to respond and not in an apathetic way. Those who had authentically met Jesus primarily had one of two responses devoted love or extreme hatred. These people, they were either devoted to the point that they were willing to sacrifice their own lives in order to spread the good news of Jesus. Or they despised him so much that they wanted to take his life. You see, when they encountered Jesus, there wasn't room for a middle ground. And it would be easy for us to sit here today and say that if those are the two options, then we're good. If those are the two options, we're good. I don't hate anybody, let alone Jesus. But you see, there's a problem. And the problem is this, and that there is a third option. And it's extremely dangerous. There is a third option that that can fool us into thinking we have a love relationship with Jesus when in actuality we have a love relationship with ourselves and the idea of Jesus that we have adopted. Jesus warns us about this in Revelation 3. In Revelation 3, beginning in verse 15, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Do you see what I'm talking about here? And, and uh, I'm going I'm to list off some words here and stop me when one of these words describes how you want one of your relationships to be described, okay? So lukewarm, apathetic, tepid, stagnant. Indifferent, unconcerned, unbothered. Uh, no, no, nobody stop me. You see, these are not words of how we would want any of our relationships to describe, to be described. But if we look closely, we may see that those words could be used to describe the single most important relationship we could ever be involved in and that has dire consequences. You see, it's dangerous because a lukewarm response to Jesus is the result of an inauthentic relationship with him. Let that sink in for just a minute. A lukewarm response to Jesus is the result of an inauthentic relationship with him that's not something that's easy to swallow that's not something that is easy to wrap our minds around or easy for us to want to have said about anything about us and our relationship with him but you see lukewarm can lead us to believe that we are good when in reality we are in danger of being spit out of jesus mouth mark lays out many markers of a daringly devoted life to jesus but also shows us what lukewarm looks like and my friends sometimes the 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 step from daringly devoted to lukewarm isn't that big we're gonna unpack some of what this looks like and this isn't the total list in total this isn't this isn't a comprehensive list this is the list from the chapters that, that we're talking about today and, but, but, and there's going to be some of this, guys, that's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But I want you to listen hard because there is hope. There is hope because of a resurrected king who is going to return and wants nothing more than for us to be as devoted to him as he is to us. So the first marker of daring devotion to Jesus is that daring devotion to Jesus is shown through adoration. Daring devotion to Jesus is shown by what we adore, by what we celebrate, by what we rejoice in. And in Mark 11, we get to see the beginning of Holy Week, the beginning of this, of Palm Sunday and what happened. It says many people, spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. You see, these, this is what was going on. Jesus was showing up and the people in Jerusalem, they adored him. Not because he was some celebrity, even though they would have known some of what he had done. The people in Jerusalem would have heard about him feeding the masses. They would have heard about him, about him healing the sick. They would have heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. But he was far more than that. You see, Jesus was the fulfillment of a prophecy, of a promise, hundreds of years old and in Zechariah 9 9 we see this prophecy this promise to the people of Jerusalem where it says rejoice greatly daughter Zion shout daughter Jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey you see Jesus showed up to fulfill a prophecy. And he showed up at the busiest time, the busiest time in the city of Jerusalem. I mean, this was a crowded place at this time. Jerusalem, Jerusalem was seeing a population surge for that time that was massive because of what was going on. And Jesus shows up at this point in time, and the people in Jerusalem, they know what has just happened. They understand that Jesus is declaring himself God by showing up in that moment and in that way. And they are celebrating the coming of a king. Now, not a king like they were expecting, because what they were expecting was a king who was going to show up, turn, over, turn Rome on its head, and see the Israelite people, the Jewish people, come back, from, 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 come back to power, come back to prominence, come back to be the prominent people in the world that they were expecting was a king who would show up and ready for battle, but what they got was, a sh- was the son of a carpenter. What they were expecting was someone who would come in and, and confront Rome, but what they got was someone who came in and confronted the Jewish religious leaders of the time. You see, because Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus, Jesus the, the, the adoration wasn't the end of it because what he did is he came in and then he showed up at the temple. And he walked in and caused a ruckus. He went in and he flipped over tables and he kicked some folks out. Not because, not, not because they were selling things, but because of how they were selling things. They were taking advantage of the Jewish people. They were using the temple for their own gain. They were using the temple to rob the Jewish people. They had moved from it being about a relationship with Jesus to being about religion, which is always about us. And you see, this is what we see is, is, that, is that a lukewarm response to Jesus is shown by religion, not relationship. In Mark 11, we get to see this, where Jesus, in 11, verse 17, it says, and as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? So he's saying, is it not written that my house is going to be called a house of adoration? Is it not written, but you have made it a den of robbers? You've made this about yourselves. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. You see, the leaders of the time had made the temple about personal gain rather rather than about pure worship of God. Man-made religion is about us. Relationship slams the door on anything but Jesus. You see, the personal gain of self isn't always about money it is when we in any way make faith about us it's when we take our faith and we wrap it around our ideology it's when we take our faith and we wrap it around our 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 nationality or our political leanings it's when we take our faith and we use our faith and we keep others down to build ourselves up it's anything that takes jesus and takes him off the seat that he belongs on and places ourselves there. You see, this is what happens. Daring devotion to Jesus is about adoration. A lukewarm response to Jesus is about adoring myself under the guise of religion. You see, daring devotion to Jesus is also shown by being extravagantly generous. Generous. In Mark 12, beginning in verse 41, we get to see this generosity. It said, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. This this is not paper money. They're throwing in coins. They're making a scene. This is about, look at me. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins. Another translation says she placed in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So while daring devotion to Jesus is shown by being extravagantly generous, a lukewarm response to Jesus is shown by withholding from him. It's shown by holding back, withholding things from him. You see, everything we have is ultimately God's. Our money our possessions, our everything is not really ours at all. And we, but we have a choice with what we will do with it. We will have a choice with what we will do with what we have been blessed with. We can be extravagantly generous or we can hold things for ourselves and the choice is ours. The poor widow gave all that she had. And my friends, being a widow at this time was not a desired position in society. Widows couldn't hold property. They couldn't hold a job. They were basically only going to make it if they had an adult son who could take care of them or if they had a father who was still alive. So when Jesus said she gave everything... He probably wasn't just talking about everything for that day. He was probably talking about everything in total. You see, Jesus, See this, poor, this woman, she gave out of humility and faith. And the rich made a big deal out of what they were doing when it didn't really cost them anything. It drew attention and said, look at me. It was a gift that allowed them to, even after the gift, to retain their wealthy status. It wasn't a true sacrifice, And it wasn't done with humility and faith. And when we aren't willing to be humble and faithful in our generosity, we are are withholding from Jesus something that is already his. The last marker that we're going to talk about today of daring devotion is this, is that daring devotion to Jesus gives up everything for him daring devotion to Jesus gives up everything for him. Mark 14, beginning in verse 3, says, while he was in Bethany reclining at a table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to each other, why wait? Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. You see, this incredible woman was willing to give up a year's wages as a gift for the king. She was willing to give up something of great value and be rebuked harshly for her king, her Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus. And we are called to live in the same way. We are called to live in such a sacrificial way that we will give up everything for our king. It is a life that says that there is nothing more valuable than one moment with jesus it is a life that says there is nothing not worth sacrificing for our king not my status not my wealth not my home not my family or my life nothing is too valuable and when we are willing to give up everything for him we step deeper into the life that only he can offer You see, a daringly devoted life is marked by being willing to give up everything for him. But a lukewarm response to Jesus refuses to see that life in Jesus is worth everything. A lukewarm response to Jesus refuses to see that life in Jesus is the single most valuable thing in the universe. There is nothing that even remotely measures up. A lukewarm response to Jesus refuses to see that life in him is worth everything. Mark 14, beginning in verse 10, says, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12. Guys, there's weight to those seven words because of who Judas was he was one of the 12 he walked with Jesus he was there for the miracles he got to spend time on mission with the people who were on mission with Jesus he was one of the ones who walked closest to Jesus then so we read this and I want you to understand the gravity of what's happening here he said then Judas Iscariot one of the 12 went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Judas walked with Jesus, saw what he did, and still chose betrayal. And when we slip into lukewarm, so do we. And when we slip into lukewarm, so do we. We slip from relationship into self-gain-driven relationship, into self-gain-driven religion. When we hold things back from Jesus, we are saying that life in Jesus, while a good thing isn't the ultimate thing. When we refuse to be radically devoted to Jesus, we are choosing a life of sin. But there is hope because we have a choice to make that determines everything there is a king there is a messiah there is a savior who is waiting and knocking on the doors of our hearts and offers a new life a life abundant a life that is beyond all measure and we get to see this in revelation chapter 3 verse 20 it says Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. My friends, that is our hope. is that Jesus is not standing off to the side waiting for us to fail. He's standing at the door of our heart radically devoted to us. Pleading with us to open the door so that he can come in And we can have new life in him, not just now, but forevermore. Because it goes on to say, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his. The choice is ours. And to the ones who choose him by repenting, that is turning our back on sin and turning directly towards the only source of true and lasting life. There is a second part to this dare. Jesus dares those who choose him to watch expectantly for his return. You know, I shared with you earlier about my aunt, Elda. And I'm gonna tell you, she really was and is one of my heroes. Elda came home from her final missionary journey in Africa in 1992. But her missionary work did not end. She lived a life of poverty, of generosity, and of sacrifice. Her mission field became her, became. Her great, the, the grandchildren in our family, and the great-grandchildren in our family. And she would sit and often, with tears in her eyes, tell us of Africa, but wrap it always in, the only reason I'm here is because Jesus loved me so. And I can't wait for him to come back. You see, Elda waited expectantly for Jesus to return And the truth of the matter is, is Jesus was her one and only, and he is going to return. He is going to return. And when he does, will he find us having lived a life that is radically devoted to him and him alone? Or will he find us living a lukewarm life that is devoted to us? Even if on the surface it appears otherwise. Earlier, Tim read the passage of Scripture, and we're going to end the same way we began with a dare from our King. So, Mark 13, beginning in verse 32, says, No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn, if he comes suddenly, Do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. The king is coming back. I dare you. West side, I love you, but not nearly as much as our father in heaven does. Today, if you need to talk with somebody, we're gonna have prayer partners along the edges and I would love for you to just go talk with them. But rest in this week. This is a week of celebration as we are building up to the single greatest event in the history of history, the resurrection of our King. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.